Welcome to this episode of The Chaplain's Chair, a thought-provoking podcast about religion, faith, family, and yes, even some politics sprinkled in from time to time. You can follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Anchor FM, or you can follow it on Facebook and the website, The Chaplain's Chair. In this podcast, I want us to consider some absolute truths. I want you to consider as a starting point that everything in life comes from God. There can be no meaning in life apart from God. And God wants us to know him, invites us, in fact, to know him. Well, who is God and what is he like? If you have that question. I think it's critical for us to know because if we get it wrong, everything else in life will be wrong. Nothing makes sense if God doesn't make sense. But to seek to know God is to be honestly confronted with the truth about us and our world. Now, some of the things I will not be trying to accomplishing with this podcast, I'm not going to try to make you aware that God exists. I believe everybody inherently already knows that. You see that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1. It says, in the beginning, God. God doesn't start the word of God by trying to justify his existence. He states it as an established fact, and he leaves it as that. This is not to just simply give you information about him, you know, like an an encyclopedia, you know, this is what God is like, or to give you a religious experience, make you aware of God and, and, and feel, in the air quotes, his presence. I hope to inspire you to get to know God the way you would anyone else. And why? Well, because God already knows all about you. You know, getting to know God is a meaningful pursuit. You know, it says in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Let's be focused on the right things, it says here. Loving kindness, judgment. Yes, we are called to judge. I know that's not a popular thing to say today. That's a podcast for another day. But let's focus on loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. You have to ask yourself something. You know, when you glory in life, when you take a look at your life and you look back with satisfaction, what what do you look on? Do you look on the things of God? Has, Has God rubbed off on you? Has God changed you? change the way you behave, change the way you think, change the way you approach things. And it's a fair question to ask. If God hasn't changed me, do I really know him? That's a fair question. Have I accepted the invitation to get to know who God is? You know, getting to know God is, a, is, is an authentic pursuit. It's an authentic effort. It leads to an authentic life. You know, Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 17, He's praying to the Father before he goes to the cross. He's got these final words on his lips. It's a rather long discourse that that John records, but I'm going to read the first three verses of it. He says, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, eternal life in this context is explained as a present reality, not a future 
possibility. You know, it's one thing we miss when we examine our relationship with God. I want to read 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. It says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And that's a very important point. Eternal life is expressed here as a present reality, not a future possibility or even a future hope. God does not want believers going to their graves, closing their eyes for the last time with uncertainty, not knowing where it is that they're going when their life is over. The quality of life equals knowledge of God. I don't mean a book knowledge of God. I know a lot of people have a book knowledge of God. I mean a knowledge of God through the word of God that is applied to our lives. You know, Jesus said the knowledge of God is truth. John 17, verse 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. An authentic life is truthful. It knows right from wrong, and it takes corrective action. It doesn't govern itself by a vacillating set of standards, which you see in our secular society all around us. You look at some of the, the cultural and social mores that we embrace now that were unthinkable a generation ago, and they are not based on any sort of scriptural foundation. It depends generation to generation, and it depends on you know who thinks what is important and who thinks what is moral, and it's blasted at us from all sides. It's one of those things that inspired me to even start a podcast is because there are certainties in life that should be communicated to people. You know, in one of my earlier podcasts, I talked about this verse here, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture, that's the Bible, is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine. Doctrine in that verse is the teaching of subjects. So the Bible is profitable to teach subjects, to teach things. It's profitable for reproof, it says. Okay, reproof is to uh, identify and expose things that we do wrong or that God doesn't like or God wants us to fix. And then it goes on and says it's profitable for correction. So we teach subjects. In the teaching of those subjects, we identify things that need to be fixed and we expose those things. And then we correct them according to this verse. And for instruction in righteousness, it says, it's supposed to show us what we need to be taught what we need to fix, how to fix it, and how to be righteous. And then it says that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That's what the word of God is meant to do. And Jesus said, sanctify him through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is the word of God and what it's for. You know, an authentic life in a relationship with God and knowing God also reveals the real us. It reveals who we really are. And to understand and to know God is to see who you really are. And sometimes it's not always a pleasant way to look at ourselves. Uh, the Apostle Peter is a perfect example. We look in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus has just given Peter this huge catch of fish. And Peter obviously sees the miraculousness uh, of the event. And it says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me. For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5, the prophet has had a vision of God in his throne room. And he says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. 
and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, if you're seeking to know God, and you're pursuing a knowledge of God and a relationship with God, the real truth about you is what God is going to give you. And this genuine knowledge of God is something that should humble us, not puff us up. One of the things that we need to understand when we look at God is God is holy. God is perfection. God is the ultimate standard of the universe. And it reveals to us just how short we fall of that standard. And what it ought to do is it ought to wipe away any attempts on our own to justify our own lives. You know, we look at people all around us that explain uh, what wonderful people they are and, and how they are any number of things. It's not humble, it's proud that they're rich, that they're famous, that they're that they're well-educated, etc. But when they look into a relationship with God, what they ought to see is how little they are in comparison to God. In this pursuit of an authentic life through a knowledge and a relationship with God, it's going to reveal some things to us about the real world. And the real world is explained truthfully in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 29 tells us the world that we live in is filled with sin. In chapter 7, verse 7, that the works of the world around us are evil and that it hates Jesus. Now, if there is one thing that is true today that you don't have to go very far to prove is that this world hates Jesus, hates him, hates the Bible, hates what it stands for, hates the concept of an eternal God who is just and holy and righteous. They hate it. And you will see when you examine the world through this lens that the problems of today's world are not political, economical, or even ideological. They're theological. They're theological. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, this world walks in darkness. In chapter 16, verse 33, Gospel of John, that it's filled with tribulation. We all know this. We've all experienced this. That the world also possesses some things that are not good for us. It has its own, it has its own wisdom. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, and we'll see what I mean by this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Where is he? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? It has its own thinking. It does not line up with God. If we go ahead one chapter to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, Paul says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, Paul says, nor of the princes of this world. That comes to naught. It's a useless wisdom. It doesn't work. They brag about it. They say how wonderful they are, but it doesn't work because it's against the wisdom of God. If we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 4, we see the source of this wisdom. And it's, it's something that is not easy to confront when you compare worldly wisdom with spiritual wisdom and you want to start examining the sources of such things. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul's writing again, in whom the God of this world, the God of this world in the word of God refers to Satan. 
It says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So we have a source of worldly wisdom that is not God. It comes from the God of this world. It comes from Satan. It's a hard thing to confront because, you know, the world has spent a lot of time trying to convince us that there's no such thing as a devil. You know, this worldly wisdom, it has its own direction. It has its own direction. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, wherein in time past, this is Paul again writing to the church at Ephesus, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And Paul reiterates the source of this worldly wisdom is the prince of the power of the air. And of course, again, he's referring to Satan, that same being that the world doesn't want you to know even exists. In fact, they make a caricature of it. They make light of it. They laugh at it. That if you believe such a thing exists as a as a evil being like Lucifer or Satan, that there's something wrong with you. But such a thing exists. Paul has talked about it. Jesus talked about it. Both warned us about it. Now, given this revelation... You know, there are some things that we're not supposed to do with that understanding. And if we go to Romans 12, we're going to see the first one. Romans 12, verse 2, Paul writes again to the Romans. He says, be not conformed to this world. Don't agree with it. Don't mold yourself around it. Don't try to be part of it. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be Ye transformed. Transform yourself by the renewing of your mind. That means you need to change your thinking. You have maybe been taught certain things, and you have been taught certain things are right and true and just. And when you start examining those things in the light of the Word of God, Paul says, renew your mind. You need to change the way you think. That is one of the biggest obstacles, I think, to getting people to accept the revelation of the Word of God, is that it may tell you things that you have believed and aren't true. And you need to make a decision at that point whether you are going to agree with the Word of God or whether you are going to agree with critics of the Word of God that tell you that you should believe something else. It's a very, very tough place to get. Very, very tough place to get. If we want to look in the book of James also, it says in chapter 4, verse 4, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. If you make a choice to embrace the wisdom of the world that is against the knowledge of God, that is against the relationship of, with God, that is against the revelation of God, God says you are going to be his enemy. That doesn't square with a lot of... Uh, what you read in the papers and on TV that, you know, God is this all benevolent, loving father that's just going to throw his arms around you, regardless of how you act, think, and speak, uh, is just not revealed in the scriptures. That God is just not there. So we have to make sure that we pursue the right knowledge. And this is a knowledge that is supposed to give us some confidence. Well, confidence to do what? 
well, confidence to do the right thing, for starters. If we look in the, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, verse 32, it goes on and says, and this is a, a context for the end times. It says, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. People that go against the covenant of God do so by flatteries, things that they believe, words that they want to hear, etc. But it says here, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. We can be confident that God is going to be with us, going to be present with us when we do that, when we have confidence and we do the right thing. Daniel, again, the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now, the context of this story is that Nebuchadnezzar has built this big image, and he's going to set this worship service to music, and when everybody hears the music, they're to bow down and worship the image. Now, if you know anything about the Ten Commandments, you know that that's commandment number two. You do not make graven images. You do not bow down and serve them. And these three Jewish men said, King, we are not careful to answer you in this matter, but we won't do that. And we know that even if you punish us for it, God's going to deliver us. Now, there's some security in that as you go through this pursuit of the knowledge of God and a relationship with God. There's some security in the trials that we face every day. If we look in Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. We have that security. God is our refuge and strength. No matter what happens, no matter how tough it gets, we can know and have the confidence in our pursuit and relationship with God that God is there. We can be confident of wisdom to apply the knowledge of God to earthly things. You know, Proverbs 9, verses 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. You know, it's very, very easy for me these days to look around and see people in politics and on TV and various other contexts. And, and I can tell simply by what they don't know or claim to know that they don't know God, that they don't have the fear of the Lord, that they don't have the knowledge of the holy. We have that in a relationship with God and a pursuit of God, pursuit of the knowledge of God. This is meant to give order to our lives, some stability. Second Peter 1 verses 2 and 3, Peter writes, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Here's the key point through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Not the knowledge of Plato, not the knowledge of Socrates, not the knowledge of any of your wise, self-anointed sages today, men of science, men of politics, men of letters, men of academia. Through the knowledge of him, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. That's where we get it. That's what gives order to our lives. You want to see disorder? Take a look around your world today. Take a look at the difference in standards between generations. 
And I'm a 55 year old man. I, I look at people in their thirties and I shake my head and, and that's only 20 years ago. And I sit there and it's like, wonder what happened to the values that I grew up in? You know, when I talk to people that are even older than me, 75 or 80 years old, they can't even fathom the changes that they see in, in morality, virtue, and, and values today compared to when they grew up. You know, because of all of this, this confidence that we have, this security that we have, this wisdom that we have, the order we have in our lives because of we pursue a knowledge of God and a relationship with God, we, we bear this spiritual fruit is what the Bible calls it. The apostle, again, the apostle Paul wrote many, many letters in, in the New Testament. He writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The knowledge of his will. He's talking about the Lord. The knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might work, walk, excuse me, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing, key point here, increasing in the knowledge of God. What a fantastic pursuit. And every time I pick up the Bible, as, as long as I have studied it and been a student of it, and I am a student, I the more I study the Bible, the more I realize how much I don't know. You can never learn too much about God. You will never learn everything about God. I don't care how long you try. You know, Galatians 5 verses 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. That's what the knowledge of God, the pursuit of a relationship with God, does for our lives. You know, it, it is a very challenging pursuit, though. It's one that you have to, you have to sincerely want. You have to sincerely desire it. You have to sincerely pursue it. And it's eternal. It's an eternal challenge. Like I just mentioned, we're never going to know it all. Romans 11, 33 to 36 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God. The Apostle Paul, again, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him... And through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. You will never run out of things to learn about God. This should be a priority in our life, this, this pursuit of knowledge. But it takes a desire, as I mentioned earlier. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. You feel like your soul was lost. You feel like your mind is lost. You feel like you look around the world and you don't know what's right from wrong. And you know what? If that's you, don't be down on yourself. I know a lot of people that are like that because different things come at you from all directions. And you don't know sometimes unless you have a spiritual compass that points to true north, I tell people, that points to God. If you want to have this wisdom, this peace, this confidence, it says, seek the Lord and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. The Bible describes it as, as a hunger. 
like being hungry, thirsty even. Psalm 42 verse 1 says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You know, I talk to people a lot in my travelings as a chaplain in the time that I, brief time I was in, in the pastorate and, you know, in the circle of influence that I have, that the Lord has given me, that people will tell me that they, they, they have this yearning for something. They can't quite put their finger on what it is, but there's an emptiness there. There's a, there's a thirst and a desire that they can't seem to fill. I'll tell you what it is. It's a thirst for God. And until you drink from that well, Jesus said in John 4, he called it a well of living water. You're always going to be thirsty. Apostle Peter described it as nourishment in his epistle, 1 Peter 2, verses 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be that you tasted that the Lord is gracious. I want to close this podcast in John chapter 4, where Jesus meets the woman of Samaria at the well. And he says to her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And he goes on and he says to her in verse 13, Whosoever drinks of this water, he means the water in the well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Well, Jesus talks about the gift of God. Jesus being that gift of God. A relationship with Jesus being a relationship with God. And in this pursuit of God, what we're meant to find, and what we're meant to find in our relationship with God, is His Son, Jesus Christ. The living God that we read about in the Gospel of John. Don't give up the search. Pursue this relationship with God. And in that pursuit, find Jesus and enter into a relationship with him. I pray that this podcast has been a blessing to you. I thank you for stopping by. And if you enjoy this podcast, you can visit the website, www.thechaplainschair.com. Leave me a comment if you'd like, maybe a topic you'd like to hear in the future. And if you are blessed by this podcast, uh, share it with your friends. Subscribe to the feed. Send me a message. Let me know how, how we're doing here and how we can bless you in the future. You have a great day. Thanks for stopping by. God bless you.